0: blog talk radio hello hello welcome to teach me to talk the podcast I'm Laura Mides pediatric speech language, language pathologist who might need a speech therapist herself today <laughs> welcome to the show despite my rocky start Uh, In today's show, we're continuing the series I started mm, probably about six weeks ago called This Kid Doesn't Play, Solutions for Common Problems, and we are up to the fifth show in this series, and in case you haven't been listening, let me just give you a couple of sentence summary. Here we are looking for ways, for solutions, (laughs) for helping our little late-talking friends and children learn to interact with us because we know that if they can't interact with us there is no way that they are going to learn how to meaningfully communicate that interaction piece is the crux it's the foundation and so kids who well let me just say this all toddlers all children learn mostly by doing and for them that means playing so when we have children who for whatever reason display obstacles during their time with us or during their the times when we are trying our best to get them to interact with us through play or through daily routine. Some of these solutions are really applicable, whether you are playing with a child or just trying to get them to interact with you as you are changing their diaper, as you are feeding them, as you are cooking in the kitchen and they are playing around you as they are in the bathtub. So don't think about this just as limited to, I'm going to sit down and play with him on the floor one-on-one, although that is a very good idea. (laughs) But these solutions could work for that too. So that's, that's what we're talking about here. Kids who have difficulty playing with you. And we have been really specific about the kinds of problems that we might see because it's, you know, it's not a one, size fits all approach. You can't do the same thing for kids who don't play with you because all they want to do is throw a toy versus a kid who won't play with you because he has a short attention span or a kid who won't play with you because he's fixated on pushing buttons. So we've taken this last few shows to really tease apart some of these problems. And so we're talking about the problem, the specific behavior that the child is exhibiting that seems to limit his ability to play with you or limit your ability to want to play with him (laughs) because it's not easy so we're taking that problem we're talking about why that problem may exist so what are the underlying reasons or a possible explanation for that child's issue whatever it might be. And then we move on to talk about ideas to try. So, I've gotten a lot of great feedback from this series and I hope you're enjoying it. If you have not listened to the first four parts, it really won't matter because some of these some of these problems do have solutions that overlap a little bit. If you really want to go back and get the background, at least listen to part 1 of the series and then go back and pick out which shows seem to be more or most relevant for the child that you are concerned about and if you're a parent welcome 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 I love having parents listen to this show parents tell me this is the kind of information that they don't often get sometimes with websites that they're reading the information is pretty um limited and as far as it, it might really explain what a kid's problem is, but it doesn't really tell you what to do about it. And so that's why we started the podcast back in 2008 (laughs) to address these things. And so we can really dive in and give you practical, real life advice. And so that's what we're continuing to do too through this series. And again, I've gotten so much great feedback from therapists and from parents who say, hey, that's exactly what I was looking for. And if you want to ever ask me a question about a show or share that kind of feedback, boy, I'm a words person. I love reading (laughs) your comments. So you can always email me at Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at teachmetotalk.com. You can send me a contact form on my website at teachmetotalk.com, and those are the very best ways to um, give me any feedback you'd like for me to hear. All right, so let's move on with this series, today we're talking about three different issues or challenges that we have with children who have a hard time playing with us. And the first one is short attention span. Uh, let's And let me just say, too, I forgot to mention this already. This information is from the last chapter of my book, Teach Me to Play With You. And that's a therapy manual. So it's written really for parents in that the directions are very very again practical in real life and it's not written with all that therapy terminology so if you're a parent and you're looking for a resource to get you started with how do I play with my kid who doesn't seem to want to interact with me or how can I really teach my child to talk as we play together and as we interact together teach me to play with you is a fantastic resource for you because it does outline step by step by step the kinds of things that we should be doing in play with children that facilitate that back and forth interaction and as I've already mentioned today that's the foundation for communication development we've got to get that reciprocity piece going or that back and forth where you talk, they respond. And even if they're not talking yet, they should still be responding. And responding might be looking at you and smiling and using a, an action or a body movement, which we would call, a, a therapist would call a gesture. They can respond by doing what you've asked them to do. They can just respond by sticking with you and by their their little anticipatory reactions to you and again that might be a facial expression like hey keep on playing with me this is really really fun it might be a laugh it might be a sound and so there are lots of things that can happen before we hear those first words and we're all about that we're all about listening for those words and looking for any attempt any first attempt to communicate but there are so many things that happen and that have to be in place before a child begins to talk and again that interaction piece that we establish here in play is that critical first starting piece so if you are struggling with that as a mom or a dad (laughs) with your own little late talker teach me to play with you is again a great place to start the last chapter of that book contains the information that we've reviewed in these past few shows and let me give you a special coupon code if you would like to get your own copy of the book to have as a written resource and if you're a therapist you need this tool in your in your bag of tricks (laughs) and it is written in that that homework format, so that you can play a game with the kid or if you're addressing a specific problem with the parent and you just want a written resource so that you can talk about it in the session, and you are doing all of your ongoing education strategies with parents, you know your modeling the strategies that they should be using. You are explaining the strategies. You are reviewing how it went with the parent after and saying, hey, this is what I saw. How did you feel about that? What are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? What do you want to see next? What can I help you with? As you're doing all of that, so many times you want to just be able to hand them a resource to say, hey, this covers what we did today. So I want you to read this. And so if you have any questions about this, you know, or that we didn't answer today, here's your next step. Here's your review or your homework. Here's what I want you to do between now and the next time that I see you again. So super, super resource for you if you're a therapist. And I've done all the work for you, so get that. And the coupon code to save $10 on any order, but particularly on – this book is podcast p-o-d-c-a-s-t so enter that as you are in the checkout process put that coupon code in the special coupon code box and the coupon code screen is toward the very end of the ordering process i get a lot of emails that say can you help me i'm trying i'm trying to order but i don't want to hit whatever the button says you know place order or buy now or whatever until i until I am sure that I'm getting getting that $10 off. And so they just, they stop maybe right before (laughs) they get to the screen so that they can find the coupon code box. So keep going. It will pop up, I promise. All right, so let's get back to talking about the specific problems that we might see. And this first one, short attention span, sounds kind of like... (laughs) A problem that we talked about on the last show which was a kid who is in constant motion but this kind of kid a kid can have a short attention span with or without a high activity level so you may have a child who isn't as active as a kid who's in constant motion but he still doesn't really stick with one thing so a kid may be pretty sedentary by a comparison to a little friend who's just all over the place But he still doesn't seem to stay with anything he he might look at something you know look at a page or two of a book and then he moves on to the next little toy that's right in his uh field of vision and then he see you know and he might stay with that for 30 seconds and then he moves on to the next thing you know just right there he's not really running around but boy he's sure not staying with you as far as his attention is concerned and let me just insert what a typical attention span is. And this is research-based. This is a study by Gartner, it's from 2008. I, I remember the name of the researcher and I remember the year, but I do not remember <laughs> the publication or uh, the title. If you need that reference, you can email me and I'll be glad to help you with that. I used it in my Steps to Building Verbal Imitation and Toddlers course. Uh, so, and I've taught that course so much, I remember the, the reference uh, but here's the information a typically developing toddler so that would be one without developmental challenges exhibits an attention span between 3 to 6 minutes without adult support so that's just on average so 3 to 6 minutes is how long a a an average toddler a typically developing toddler sticks with one activity without adult support and so The the researcher goes on to say, now kids can certainly attend to things longer than that when they're really, really into it, and they certainly can attend to activities longer than that when an adult is providing cues and staying with them and interacting with them and keeping them on track, so that external support system. But internally, regular toddlers, and that would be kids up until about the age of three, three and a half or so, only stay with something that, you know, about in that five-minute range, give or take a minute or two. And so that really is kind of eye-opening for some parents when I share that because they may have had a child, let's say this is their second or third child, and maybe their first child was very attentive and very um, focused. And so that's what they're using as their point of reference. And so when they have a kid who has a shorter attention span, even if it's within that realm of typical you know it will save us something about five minutes before they move on to something else a parent thinks that's awfully short compared to their older child who had different a different temperament and a different makeup and so it's so nice to share that bit of information with parents so that they know what's realistic now uh, the example that i gave before a little guy who might sit there and do something for 30 seconds and then something else for 30 seconds and something else for 30 seconds then move on to something for 10 seconds and then you try your best and he can only stay with it for a minute that's abnormal that's atypical and we do not want to see that so let's and and the reason that's a problem is because he's not getting enough exposure and enough opportunities with the same stimuli to learn anything. So what does that mean in real life language? If you're a parent, please don't turn the show off because I just used words that are too academic. He's not getting enough practice with the same materials to learn what the words mean or to try to say the words. His little attention span has just moved on. It's kind of like that scan and shift, scan and shift, or scroll, scroll, scroll. You know, when you're reading twitter or facebook or instagram or whatever your social media uh preference happens to be and we just kind of scroll on through and nothing really captures our attention until we read somebody's post maybe they have a video that they have attached to it maybe you want to read all the comments you have to have a reason to kind of stop and pay attention and that's what we need to be sure that we're doing with children too so that they just don't <laughs> scroll on through to that next activity because they're not really able to focus and, and, again, get enough input and enough time to mull it over to really, really learn what, what new um, concept or new word would be available to them had they stayed with it a little longer. So what are some things that we can do? to help a child with a short attention span. Well, first of all, before we get to that, let's look at the possible explanation. So why would a kid have a short attention span? Of course, parents think about ADD, attention deficit disorder, or you know, if they have the constant motion part, that would be the ADHD, the, the hyperactive component of that, meaning that kids just look pretty restless. So even if they're staying with you, they're still, moving around in their seats or jiggling their foot or which happens to be my biggest ADHD habit or twirling their hair or picking at their skin or just even when they're focused on something else, they still have a little bit of body movement going on. You know, when they test for ADHD, um, especially when you, as a, as a child gets older And I know a college-age person who just got this diagnosis and had this testing done, and they use a computer screen, and they measure your – track your eye movements or your head movements. And so that was really, really interesting to me to think about that and think about, you know, my little friends who, even though they're sitting with me and even though I'm happy because they are pretty contained – May still have a lot of these little tendencies, and again, if and most toddlers will. I don't. I don't want to give the impression that children will be completely still and very <laughs> um, rigid in their movements and not ever move a muscle. That's not what I'm saying, because that's not typical at all. But just kind of look for your little friends who seem to be a little antsy, you know, ants in their pants like they can't really stay with you. Those might be the kids, again, that aren't necessarily running around the room, but they still may have some issues with attention. And remember the ADHD or ADD. You know, as a toddler, there are, I don't know that any, more, any medical professionals going to recommend that they be on medication at two I hope not anyway because I, I have a real I don't have a problem with medicine when children need it or medications but boy I think that's pretty early to medicate a kid uh, especially during toddlerhood because that's you know moving is part of learning and and that short attention span is really, really normal, as we've already talked about, but at the same time, you do want to be aware of it, particularly when a child has a family history of ADD or ADHD, you know that should send up a red flag to you that this kid is at risk for that. So we need to look at what we can do externally or outside of that child to help him learn to internally regulate and really, really stick with something and stay with something. So that's a possible explanation. And we know again that we're not going to do anything about that except talk with parents and get some pretty good external supports going so that a child is able to uh, stay with an activity longer. And again, we're explaining that to parents about why that's a big deal. Secondly, a kid could be a sensory seeker, and we talked a lot about that in the previous shows, and that just means that his sensory system, his little body, his brain, his muscles, that whole little package of who he is, he he needs to move so that either he knows where his body is, and he doesn't get that when he's still, he only really gets a lot of that feedback by feeling his feet on the floor and smashing his little body against the wall or the fridge or the chair as he's walking by. He's just got a different makeup. So he he needs more feedback to his skin and his muscles, his bones, so that his little brain registers, hey, this is where you are, and this is how this feels good, and you feel good. Everything is is in check or regulated, and so it could be that a kid, that short attention span is just because that's the way they're wired. They need more movement. They need more activity. Some kids move more when they're overstimulated. So this would be a kid who's irritated or frustrated or annoyed or uh, it's overwhelming. So there's so much going on to him that his little system kind of kicks into that, you know, the fight, flight, or freeze, and so this would be the flight part where he's just going to get out of there And again, he may not be running around, but boy, he's turning his head to look at something else. He's trying to get something else to do to help him feel better so that he's not overstimulated or overwhelmed. And so some kids have to almost work themselves into a frenzy or have a complete full meltdown before they stop moving. And I think I've shared this example before on the show, but let me say it again. That Those would be the kids who really have to get so worked up before they can go to sleep. I mean, they almost have to just cry it out before their little bodies will finally just, you know, give up and shut down and sleep. And so same kind of issue here, but we're talking about when they're awake and when they're playing. Sometimes kids too have a significant delay in their ability to understand what people say. So a language comprehension delay, a receptive language delay. So they don't understand what you're saying. And so some kids will have to move on to find out, find something that's more meaningful and makes more sense to them, or something that's more fun. Because if you're just sitting there with them, you know going on and on and on blah 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 they <laughs> tune it out or they want to get away from it because again they don't know what the heck you're talking about so it looks like they have a short attention span because you were going on and on and on and on talking without them really understanding so look for that problem as well too and let me just say i've written a pretty lengthy post about receptive language issues On my website at teachmetotalk.com, if you are on my email list, you got that as one of the emails that I sent out this week. And so if you haven't checked that or you haven't read that, look at that. Go to that post at teachmetotalk.com and read about receptive language issues. It is a big factor, As, as I said in the post and as I say every time I speak live, I think that receptive language issues are the number one most overlooked Problem that late talking children have. We assume that a kid understands when he really, really doesn't. And so when a parent will say something like, you know, she understands everything, that is not the problem. Sometimes that is true. Sometimes a child will have age appropriate, receptive language. They do understand as much as their other typically developing little peers, but they're just not talking yet. But guys, a lot of times that receptive language is delayed too. And even a three to six month receptive language delay will cause a a lag in a child's ability to talk and communicate and produce words. So take a look at receptive language. And again, that's not what this show is about. I've, gosh, done lots and lots and lots of shows about receptive language. So if that's what's going on with your child or a child that you're working with that you're super super concerned about take a close look at that you can get some good resources for that in that post at teachmetotalk.com i believe it's the first post up right now if you're scrolling through your phone or on a tablet and the posts are all listed sequentially i think that's probably the top one so go go read that all right so what are some ideas what are some things we can do when a child has a short attention span Well, if he's a sensory seeker, he's already told you the solution. He needs to move more. (laughs) So you probably need to do with this kind of kid before you want to play with him, you need to warm him up, as I say to parents. So you need to give him time to move around. As I say over and over, get those wiggles out. So we would start a session with a kid like this by playing a lot of games, where we're chasing, we're running, we're jumping. And even if we have a limited amount of space and can't get outside or don't have a big uh, open space in a home to run around in, you can still do a ton of movement things for the little kid in a little space. You can throw them around, you can jump up and down, you can play a game like Ring Around the Rosies, you can, uh, we talked about chase, you can just throw them in the air Several times roll around on the floor, bounce them on your legs, anything like that for 10 or 15 minutes until you start to see that settling down, that ah, kind of release. And then they're in a better spot, regulatory-wise, to sit and attend to play with you. So listen to some of the ideas from last week or last time show, number 306, we're at the end where we talked about constant motion. Try some of those things. Uh, here, here's the thing, too. With those kinds of kids, even though you may be having that 10 or 15-minute warm-up period where you kind of wear them out, and so they can sit with you and they're calmer and at a better place to listen, you may have to do that again. After you do a sit-down activity or two, then you may have to get up and move again and then have another sit-down activity or two. So when I teach this, in courses to therapists. And when I write about it, I call this a move, set, move, set philosophy. So that's how we want to schedule our sessions with these kinds of children. And even though I'm saying sessions, as I'm referring to a therapy session for a therapist, as a parent, this is really important too. So if you're working with your child and you're thinking, gosh, I haven't had a lot of one-on-one time with him today, I'm gonna, I want to really sit down and I know he, I've got this new book that I think he's going to love, and then you realize, gosh, he doesn't want to do this right now, get up and move. Get up and play, like I said before, some kind of little movement activity. And it, it, it doesn't matter what it is your, or how much sense it makes. Your purpose, though, is just to get him up and aroused and moving so that in 10 minutes or so he can calm down. And some kids won't take a full 10 minutes of that. Sometimes it's just a minute or two. And then they're right back ready to snuggle up with you or sit quietly with you or sit with you and really listen and pay attention to what you're trying to teach them. So think about alternating that, uh, what you'll do with a child so that you can take full advantage of whatever level of attention he can give you as best as he or she can. So with those kinds of kids, again, that move, sit, move, sit, even when you are the sitting part, you may have to be more high energy with them to keep their attention. So a lot of times when my 50 year old body is feeling too tired, to do a lot of running and jumping and playing around, I can still sound excited with my voice. I can still make my face look. Out of the running around, so. If you have a a ball or a balloon or bubbles or as I call them, monitor toys, meaning that you do something and the toy moves away from you, whether it's a car that you roll or that little Hot Wheels set that I'm crazy about, it's a little motorcycle set that you put on a little stand and you pull the lever and the motorcycle shoot out across the room and the kid has to run, get that and then bring it back to you so that you can do it again. Even if you're giving playing with a toy like that, you're giving a child opportunities to move even if you aren't moving. <laughs> so that's certainly another way to accomplish that. With kids with short attention span, another thing that I do is called my one more rule. <laughs> and so it's one more anything. So one more page of the book, one more puzzle piece, one more turn with whatever toy we are doing. If we are playing with potato heads, it might be one more piece in the potato head. So, I and here's how you do it. So you feel like he's about to leave. You think, oh no, he's he's had it, he's leaving. But you catch him right before that. So the first time you think it, and you start, you know, just right in their little faces. I hold up my index finger and I say, one more, one more, one more. And so again, you're kind of high energy. You've amped it up a little bit. You've ratcheted it up a notch so that you're getting them to really try that one last time. And it, you may you may say one more, one more. You know, you may just be lying as you say one more, you know, four or five times. But that one little statement and your animated presentation of one more, one more, come on, one more, can really, really keep a kid with you for a while. So try that one more rule. Uh, another thing that I like to do, and I do it with nearly every single activity with every single kid is really add a cleanup routine to all play or toy activities because this would automatically extend the time that the child spends with the activity. So what does this mean? It means that you're going to make cleaning up the the toy, whatever you've played with, a part of the activity. So if you've seen any of my DVDs, the shorter DVDs, teach me to talk, teach me to listen and obey one and two, or teach me to listen or teach me to talk with apraxia and phonological disorders, or my courses where I show little therapy clips of me working with children, you'll know that I use two and a half gallon Ziploc bags for lots and lots of my toys. And so Part of the activity, whether it's been playing with a set of blocks or playing with baby dolls or playing with magnets or playing with an Easter routine that's coming up, any kind of thing that we've played with, I have some container, usually it's that Ziploc bag, but some way to put that toy away. So before we move along to the next activity, even if it's snack time or especially when I'm about to leave or whatever the new activity is, we clean that first one up and it automatically extends the amount of time that that child stays with you. Now, try to make this a verbal routine, meaning that you're going to say the same things in the same way every time you do the activity so that a child knows what to expect. So you may be saying for a kid, a cleanup activity, especially at the beginning, you just may be saying, you know, we have to clean it up. Or you might sing that darn song from Barney, if you're old enough to remember that. I don't even know if Barney's, that cartoon or that show is still even on PBS anymore. But he had a cleanup song that all of us who were over 40 sing in our sleep with kids that, you know, we've worked with kids that long. So um, that little song, you know, clean up, clean up anything you can do i have a parent that i worked with last year that would always say you know put it away put it away put it away and she said it in the same intonation or prosody every single time and her kid no matter and he was so um scattered a lot of the time it's a little guy who has autism but he would hear put it away <laughs> and even though he would balk at it he began to understand and i think her intonation her prosodic features there really helped him understand that command because she so was so consistent in how she said it. And so come up with whatever your routine is and then that that's part of it. And they know that they really aren't going to be able to get to do the next activity or the next thing they want to do until they've put um the toy or whatever they were doing away. And and to get that going, now kids don't necessarily love to clean up. So you may have to, if he runs away from you, get up, chase him down, bring him back. Try to make it as pleasant as possible, but really help them do it, especially in the beginning, because that really establishes your routine. And so for kids who've never done it before, even if they're just picking up one or two pieces and put them away and then have with those Ziploc bags I had the kids zip it because they sort of get obsessed with that and it's novel enough that they want to do it so they will get everything in the bag just so that they can zip it and it's fantastic fine motor practice because they're isolating their little pincer grasp you know and you'll have to help them because kids won't be able to automatically do that unless they have you know big-time fine motor coordination strengths But get them going with that because I've had a lot of kids who hated to clean up, but then once I really got them in the habit of zipping the bag, they liked it. And so you may start with saying something, you know, put it away or singing your song or whatever, but eventually you'll be able to work on receptive language. You'll be able to work on helping them learn how to follow directions during cleanup time. And and so that's certainly something you could work into, and we've talked a lot about that on this show. So what, what would that look like? That would be if you were cleaning up a train set, you would say, you know, get Thomas or get James or, you know, get the choo-choo, put choo-choo in, you know, get track, let's put the track in, or, you know, whatever toy, get the ball, you know, the ball goes in, and you're really, really, helping a child learn how to understand language because he's following your command. He's doing what you've asked him to do. He's linking meaning with that activity. So it's a fantastic way to address not only a short attention span, but a receptive language issue as well. Now, sometimes let's talk about kid, why kids leave play and and look like they have a short attention span. It's because one, they're not interested in what you're doing. So that lets you know, boy, I've got a look for some things that really, really capture his attention, some things that he prefers rather than non-preferred activities. Sometimes it's that the play that you're trying to get them to do is too hard or your demands are unrealistic. So they want to leave what you're doing because you're asking them to talk when they can't talk. Or you're you're getting them to try to perform a two-step command when they don't understand all your words and they would be better to, just give them a one-step simple command or it could be that the toy is too hard you're trying to get them to do something that's um, just beyond their capabilities from a fine motor perspective or from a cognitive perspective let's say that you're working on uh, a toy that a kid has to do two or three things before he gets the effect or before he would get to do something a lot more fun for him so of course he's going to look for something else that means more or that he's better at. All of us do that. That's kind of human nature. I don't know anybody who really loves doing something that they are terrible at. So look for that. Uh, And what do you do in that situation? You make it simpler. As I always say, you back up. So if the toy's too hard, you back up and play with a toy that's easier, that he's able to participate with a little bit better. If you realize I'm asking him to complete too many directions, you stop doing that <laughs> or you make your your commands or your directions less complex if you are asking him to say a word every 30 seconds you don't you well that would be a little long let's say that you're over and over and over you're just saying say ball tell me ball say ball you have to say ball and it's he, he's he kind of gets the feeling like man she is nagging me to death so you pull back a little bit so look at what might be contributing to that short attention span look at what's kicked in his fight flight or freeze (laughs) and analyze what you are doing with that and figure out how can i make this less overstimulating or overwhelming for him Uh, i think we talked about this on last show But when kids are overstimulated, a really good strategy to use is help them regulate by what they're putting in their little bodies. So a cold drink through a straw is very, very regulating. Now, it might be thicker like a milkshake, but most of us don't have that on hand every day. That's kind of special that we would have to make. But something like, (laughs) excuse me, a juice box or a juice pouch or whatever mom has in the sippy cup. Um, any kind of cold drink can be really really regulating for lots of kids sometimes they regulate better with a crunchy or chewy snack now all of us as adults those of us who love to chew gum that's a lot of times because it's really regulating that's how our body settles down and calms down so sucking and chewing are very very calming and again regulating and if you're a parent you're not you haven't really heard that word before regulating just means that we get kids to that just right place and so you think about the kinds of things that regulate you that make you feel better and for lots of us it is eating and drinking and our our little toddler clients our friends or our children are the same way so try those kinds of strategies too sometimes um, deep pressure We'll help a kid with a short attention span calm down and we talked a lot about that on last show. I don't want to be super repetitive here, but go back and listen to those things with deep pressure and heavy work and those kinds of strategies that you can use. For some kids, using a boundary to really define their play space is super, super important and it really curbs their need to move. So again, we we talked about kids who don't necessarily know where their bodies are in space. That they have sensory processing differences related to, um, again, their sense of balance or their sense of their their sense of um, stabilization. And so they really are more focused when they're sitting to play, and when they have an external marker for where their body goes. So that's why. Teachers a while ago would really use things like carpet squares <laughs> for a kid at circle time at preschool or somehow designate where that kid is supposed to stay. That's my chair works pretty well for some kids. And I'm not always talking about belting a kid in a high chair. I've worked with tons of little friends who have a bean bag or one of those oversized little um, chairs they look pottery Barn sells a lot of those you can even get those at walmart or target or anything any place like that just a little toddler sized comfy chair and i will put the kid in that chair and i will sit right there in his little face (laughs) and we play with the toy uh, either in his lap or i'll hold it or uh, sometimes i'll have the kid just sit right in front of the chair so and we may even put it up against the wall so that he can lean on that squishy chair And I'm right there. And it does really limit his options and his ability to even want to move. So try that kind of thing. Now, if a kid runs away from that, don't freak out too bad. A lot of times you just have to say, you know, let's get back here. This is where we play. This is where we sit. And again, bring him back to clean up, make him at least clean up the activity before they run away and get to do. Uh, something else but that boundary really really helps and let me just go back to high chair the high chair discussion a lot of therapists I got an email from a therapist this week who said her supervisor suggested that she put this little guy in a high chair to get him to settle down and at first it helped, but now it just makes him really, really mad. And so she said, "What would you do?" And my response was, "You know, well, if he's mad, he's not going to learn anything. And so if if you put a kid in a high chair and they respond great, well, no problem. <laughs> you know, use whatever you have to do. I don't like that kind of thing though, because I want kids to have." a little bit of say and I don't want it to look like everything is you know like I'm restraining them and tying them down and making them stay with me and particularly if they're upset of course I'm just going to let them get up because they don't learn anything when they're overstimulated like that you know and if the lesson they do learn is I don't like you and I don't ever want to see you again and I don't want you doing anything with me and please get out of this space or let me out of here if they're coming to see me um so I don't use a lot of that but I have had kids who really, really do need that external system where they know where they are and where they're supposed to be. And they respond beautifully to that boundary. So think about that and figure out, you know, if if a kid needs it, if he likes it. I had one little guy whose body control was just so limited. He had a lot of seizures he was on anti-seizure medications, which just produced all kinds of side effects. And so he a lot of times he was really drowsy, and that was an all-day thing. You know, it wasn't that we were seeing him at the wrong time of day. You know, that's just how he was. That's the kind of dosage that his seizures required to stop or to stay under control, but it made him a little bit sleepy. So for that kid, he had to wear a helmet because he fell a lot. And, and that kind of kid really responds well to sitting in a high chair or sitting in another chair because they can control their little bodies better if they're not careening out of control as they move around. So look at that kind of thing and, and see what works best for a child. All right. So that was short attention span. Let's talk about now kids who are aggressive. This would be a kid who bites you, who hits you, who scratches, who pulls your hair, who kicks you, who, who lunges out at you. What in the world are we going to do with that kind of kid? Why would a child be aggressive? Well, first of all, that's just kind of human nature. I mean, don't you feel aggressive sometimes when you drive <laughs> or when you, somebody's just ticked you off? Yeah, we all have those emotions, and children certainly are not immune to that. And they, all of us come into this world with different temperaments and personalities. So sometimes if we're going to have a kid who's a little more hot-headed and, and lashes out a little more. And, and let's just say this too, kids who are like talkers who don't have other ways of communicating their anger or mistrust or confusion will often use a physical response to accomplish that because they don't yet have words. So we know that we're tackling that communication piece and so we have to be a little bit empathetic. And understanding that. But at the same time, we can't let kids hurt themselves or us or other people. It's just not acceptable. (laughs) We're not going to let a kid continue to be aggressive without really, really addressing that. Now, remember, sometimes kids do it because they're just overstimulated. Sometimes kids do it even they're not mad. They're just overly excited. I've had a lot of kids who love me and adore me, but I'm still kind of their punching bag (laughs) because they don't know what else to do boy, I had a biter a long time ago. His his name was Ty. Gosh, I bet he's 15 by now. Uh, But boy, every time he got excited, that little mouth opened and he was on me. And in the summer, (laughs) when I would naturally wear short sleeves and, you know, then I was a lot younger, more shorts all the time to work and see kids for home visits because it would be hot and people wouldn't have air and I don't like being hot. And so, boy I cannot tell you how many times well I will tell you it only it took I was a slow learner it took me three or four times of even in the hot summer learning boy I better wear pants today because if not if he sees skin he's going to get me and so you have to kind of think about those things too and he wasn't he wasn't always mad when he did it you know a lot of times he was just happy just so overly excited that I had to really learn how to keep him in that just right place and not Overstimulate him to the point that he wanted to bite me. <laughs> uh, so, really, really look at why a child may be exhibiting some behaviors that are aggressive and again we want to be empathetic to that but at the same time we cannot leave this behavior unchecked because you don't want it to get out of control I've had little friends get kicked out of daycare because their behavior is out of control they're hurting other children I've had children who are self-injurious they bite themselves and certainly our little friends on the spectrum you know we know about 15 percent of kids on the spectrum will have some of those self-injurious or their behaviors or things that they do to themselves that cause injuries or that that you know they're they cause bru- bruising or scra- scratches or whatever they're doing to themselves. So for those kids swift action you've got to move in and stop it as quickly as you can. Um you don't really want to stop themselves from stop them from hurting themselves but you can't do it in a way that's even more overstimulating which is a lot of times what a parent kind of ends up doing so if you sense that a kid is about to go over the edge I try to kind of scoop those kids up if they'll allow, but sometimes it's just me grabbing their little hands and slowly bringing that excitement level down so that if we really, I realize, gosh, this movement activity is out of control. He's just, you know, really about to lose it here. This is going to go from happy to mad, you know, in about two seconds unless I do something You might try a really rhythmic song or dance. A lot of times with those kids just rocking back and forth, so a song like Row, Row Your Boat, where we're holding them or at least holding their little hands and rocking with them. You might even have to do it with a kid who's standing up. But but stopping what they're doing too abruptly could sometimes even that worse. So be sure that you are taking swift action to keep them from hurting themselves or you or another kid, but at the same time, um, really, really not making it worse by your intervention. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, some kids will tackle you or push you because they like that kind of play and they're really craving deep pressure. And so it's not really that they're trying to beat you up. They just don't understand that not everybody likes that yet. And, boys, when you get a big toddler, you know, a big 35, 40-pounder, they can do a lot of damage when you are trying to play with them and they don't even realize how big they are how much they could hurt you so be sure with those kids that you are analyzing you know is he doing this again because he's really being aggressive or is he just trying to get his little body regulated and make sure you're considering that so find a really safe way for him to get that feedback to his body and we've talked a lot about moving and sitting and all the different things that you could try with him. Kids like that really need an outlet, though, a little trampoline in their homes. I think we talked about that on last show, the stand up trampolines that have a little bar where a kid can hold on and jump, 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 jump until until his heart is content. You might even do things like building a mound of pillows or cushions from the couch, anything where they can run and jump and get that feedback without having to use you. as their instrument in getting what their their um, little bodies need. Now, if a kid is aggressive because he's mad, try to catch that ahead of time. Build in. We've talked a lot, I think, in the last few shows, or I've certainly written about distraction and redirection. I've got a great article that teaches me to talk about that that I wrote a couple of weeks ago. Read that article for ideas and again this really takes some sleuthing skills and some detective skills on your part so that you can really know that this is going to be a possibility for a child so you were looking for any impending signs that he's about to erupt and stepping in and giving him an alternate to do ahead of time lots of therapists and parents will say you know he's really got to have an opportunity to work through learning to be mad or work through this frustration hey he's going to get plenty of opportunities excuse me for that just that with with his eruptions that you can't stop there will be things that you can't control you don't you aren't able to get in there fast enough so he's going to have time to work through those things without you setting up situations that will set him off. So when you can, when you do feel a building, when you can see it coming and you can do something about it, my belief is that you always should because there will be plenty of times when you can't. And so that experience of learning how to feel out of control and then self-regulate, they're going to get that as they grow up. But a lot of our little friends at one, at two, at three, because of their developmental delays, aren't going to be able to do that just from a maturation perspective. So we have to step in and prevent those situations when we can. And I think that's a really important point to share with parents too. You know, when a kid habitually becomes aggressive and, you know, you think I've just got to kind of let this play out and there's not much, you know, I'm going to be able to do. He's He's got to really, he's got to, I, I got to keep myself from getting hurt Smooth move out of the way Um, be sure that you're backing up, that you're, you know, if you have a kid who likes to get your long hair, put it in a ponytail. (laughs) If you have a kid that likes to scratch your face, uh, don't get your face right there. You know, do everything you can from a common sense perspective to get your body out of the way. And remember that when you're going to correct these kinds of behaviors, you're going to use words that we call them inhibitory words. Stop. No. Um. Don't you know those kinds of words? Use a firm tone, but loving. You're still going to stay supportive and um, not not playful, but you certainly want them to. You want them to stop their behavior, but you don't want to get into that power struggle mode where they feel like they have to necessarily fight back. And a lot of times. Uh, I've seen that just happen in situations where the adult has taken on too. um, uh, the tone is so – the tone with the adult is so aggressive and so bossy that it really does more to set a kid off than to change a kid's behavior. And so you do want to be firm. I'm not saying that. And I'm not a pushover. I'm not going to let a kid just totally walk all over me. But at the same time – you do want to still, or I feel like, you still keep that loving approach going and that seems to be a lot more um, successful Here's the thing. A lot of times a parent will just want to isolate a kid like this and just say, well, if you can't play with other kids, you're just going to have to go by yourself. That really doesn't do anything to address the social issues or the interactive issues that a kid would have too. So really kind of think about that. We want kids to learn how to love being with us. So when we put them in their rooms for an extended period of time, we're not doing anything to help that social interaction skill continue. And some kids like that. Some kids like Oh boy, I don't have to do anything, and everybody's leaving me alone. So it almost—well, it doesn't almost. It actually reinforces their aggression because they think my outcome here is escape, and I'm getting to avoid what I don't want to do. And so let me just be, you know, as aggressive as I can here, and then I'm going to get to go check out for a while. I don't have to do this anymore. So you've got to find that happy medium especially for kids who again self-isolate and want to want to be on their own and want to do do check out and that's awful that's an awful situation for a kid with a social interaction or engagement issue because then they don't learn how to be with people and that's and communication remember we've talked about being with other people and that back and forth you know you don't learn how to communicate unless there's somebody else there so be sure that you're looking at that and that you're thinking how do I balance this approach where I'm not really reinforcing his aggressiveness and reinforcing his, his his tendency to want to avoid other people by using a punishment that actually sets up that kind of situation. So I hope that makes sense to you If, if it doesn't, well, you know email me or take a look at the written material and teach me to play with you and I hope that that will. Uh, make a little bit more sense. Sometimes uh, uh, that deep pressure, like a big bear hug, keep a kid from really hurting himself. And again, it's it's calming deep pressure. If that makes a kid too mad, I'm not certainly not going to do that. And remember, anytime another kid is involved with aggression, you have to remove um, whoever's getting hurt. <laughs> you can't let a kid just repeatedly be a victim. But stay with the kid who's the offender here, who's doing the hurting, using your same loving but firm tone and a brief explanation, you know, no hitting, hitting hurts, that kind of thing. Sometimes we stop and take care of the other kid, which we should do, but we don't really address um, the behavior of the kid who is aggressive. Sometimes it's the other way around. We're so focused on the aggressor that we don't do anything for our, our little friend who's been on the, the receiving end of that. So look at both of those things and make sure that you are helping the kid who's been hurt, but at the same time, your, your little friend who's the aggressor needs some help to calm down and regulate too. And just a punitive uh, approach just with him being in trouble is often not a solution because we don't, he doesn't learn how to work through it. And so really, really take some time to think about what you're doing and what you're recommending to parents and what the approach has to be. And there's no one size fits all with this kind of kid. You've got to look at why he's hitting or biting or whatever's going on, you know, what the underlying sensory factors are that are contributing to that and what you can do to Make that situation better for that specific child, sometimes we try to ignore aggression, and I'm you know i I don't know that I would uh, that I've ever had a situation where I've repeatedly ignored a kid who's tried to hurt someone else falling there. you know i just I can't do that <laughs> that's not that goes i I overlook the annoying. But you're not going to overlook that kind of thing. So make sure that you're addressing it So not only for the other kid's sake because you don't want anyone getting hurt, but even for the little friend who's doing the hitting or biting or whatever he's doing, you really can't ignore those behaviors. So he still needs to know that his behavior is unacceptable. He still needs to know what he's done is wrong, but he also needs to know that you're there and you're going to help him through that aggressiveness and through those feelings that are making him want to lash out at someone else too so be sure that you're addressing that hey i want to mention that next time on the show we'll talk about the differences between a tantrum and a meltdown and there are some differences now i have used those terms interchangeably for a long time, but I'm gonna change that because I've read some new information that really defines a tantrum versus a sensory sensory meltdown. I wanna write a good post about it so you'll have information about it, but we'll do that on the next show because there's some great differentiations that I wanna help you make. Now, we are about four minutes until the end of this hour and the next problem that I wanted to talk about is difficulty with transitions and we are not going to be able to cover everything that we need to cover for this particular situation so let's save that for next time too and we will pick back up with that problem i wanted to let you know though since i said at the beginning of the show you know that we would talk about transitions Um, that we'll just have to save that for next time and it's such a common issue you know transition problems actually are really common in toddlers and super common in kids with autism and we'll talk about why that is on next show too so I hope today with our strategies for a short attention span and how how we would handle aggression uh, in a child have been helpful to you So uh, that's all for today. Have a great week, and I'll be back with you next time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.